Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love the fact that the film is not without risk and I think that that's really good in terms of it being a film for kids and adults Mm. and I think this is a really important lesson for children which is that yeah you should try to challenge like why things scare you and yes you should confront your fears and your parents yeah but that's not always gonna go as well as you hope there there are gonna be sad things there's gonna be fighting and sometimes you're gonna get hurt and I love the fact that we get to the end of the film and Hiccup has lost something as well as Toothless and the film doesn't shy away from that. They're like, no, like, he's still Hiccup and this is a war and it's dangerous and it's scary. Hello, film fans. Joining Flixwatch today, we have Ella. Hello. Becky. Hiya. And Kobe. Hi. Waving there. Thanks, (laughs) Thanks for that one. And we're here to review How to Train Your Dragon. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher. In the studio today we have Ella and Becky. If you would like to say hello and introduce yourself to the listeners please. Hello, uh, my name is Ella Watts. Uh, I am a podcast person, specifically a drama podcast person. So I work on a sci-fi drama called The Orphans, but I also work uh, for BBC Studios as a podcast producer and in uh, drama commissioning for BBC Sounds. In addition to that, I generally am friends with people who make drama and occasionally turn up on their sets to be very useful and definitely not just fangirl in the corner. Uh, there's, taken- a, there's a Ella again. <laughs> <laughs> this time I came to Fangirl on a non-fiction podcast. Um, and I'm really excited for us to talk about my favourite, favourite film. 
I think you've just given away a few of the spoilers for the scores there. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Becky, who are you? Hi, I'm Becky Brynoff. Um, I guess you could call me um, a kind of a story person. I'm a charity person. So story-wise, I work as a script consultant on the side and my podcast, And Then What, is all about stories. Um, we're on a little hiatus at the moment because my co-host Amy Jones has just had a little baby. So that's lovely. Um, and then I work uh, for a homeless charity called Shelter. So that's, um, I wouldn't call that fun, but it's 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 work. So. <laughs> It's good. Important work. Stuff that needs, work, needs yeah. doing. Um, but yes, that's that's me. And I'm also very excited to talk about Ella's favourite film. <laughs> uh, but you both work in scripted. Well, you, you're a script consultant? Yeah. So I take people's kind of, you know, and, you know, when you've been staring at a piece of your own work for such a long time and you yeah. cannot see the wood for the trees. And then I swoop in and get my red pen out and be like, don't worry. This is the this is the idea that you've been looking at all along. Do you ever just go, here's, here's, a, here's a metal bin? Some lighter fluid. Give them back yeah. like a little the ashes, bit off yeah. the top. The first line was great. Yeah, the title was, wasn't that shit. Oh. Start again. Yeah, there's only one time I've refused to work on a script because it was just awful. No, it was more because it was incredibly offensive. And I was like, right. I'm, I don't. I have better things I can do with my time. But there has only been one script where I've kind of had to be very delicate in my feedback. Lots of shit sandwiches, <laughs> like that. but yeah. Otherwise, generally quite good. I've come across so many bad <laughs> scripts. I, I think like up there for my bad scripts are like an, an android who's a, who's an assassin, but who can get pregnant, which reminds us that she's a woman. She has a fully functioning oh, womb, even though what? she's a robot, which she explains to us. She also tells us she's an erotic dental assistant. Oh my God. Okay. There's, there is a universe in which this film is my favorite film. <laughs> <laughs> it's not this one, trust me. No. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah, but with, with the audio dramas, are there is there kind of some script editing processes or some scripts like refining? Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, it depends, obviously, on the production. I mean, just like all podcasting, some people are just doing it from their bedroom and all the editing that they'll do is their editing of themselves. Sure. Um, other people are going to be in bigger teams um, and are going to do more uh, script editing. So, for example, with a show like Wooden Overcoats, they occasionally have guest writers on. And if they have a guest writer on, then David K. Barnes will kind of go through and script edit and they might, you know, pass a couple of eyes over it. And then, obviously, if you're going to sort of BBC scripts, then they're going to go past a few eyes and through a few hands before uh, they get recorded. Sure. Um, well, we're here talking about your film, your choice today, Ella, or as you said, your favourite film ever. Yeah. <laughs> I've never, seen, I've never like seen a bigger, please. more giggly so smile. Exciting. I know, yeah. What's, what's, the, what's your film called? <laughs> okay. We're going to talk about how to train your dragon. <laughs> Which ah. is the best. <laughs> so tell us why you chose it, apart from the fact it's your favourite film, and give us a one-minute synopsis. Time starts now. Oh, Lord. Okay, so I actually wrote something down in, in the hope that I wouldn't get too confused. This is eating to your time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, okay. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon is an animated kids' film about a boy called Hiccup who lives on an island called Burke. It's about Vikings and dragons, daring heroics and radical kindness. It's got a fantastic score and is beautifully designed, inspired by a range of Norse and Anglo-Saxon aesthetics. Whilst it's far from historically accurate, it <laughs> captures that fantasy Viking vibe. But unlike what you might imagine from a Viking film, How to Train Your Dragon is, in my opinion, a story about compassion, communication, discovery and subverting toxic masculinity. It's about learning to live with the things that scare us, not trying to destroy them, mm. even if the things we fear are less tangible than dragons. Things like loss and family and ignorance. How to Train Your Dragon teaches us to love the things we can't control and learn from them. 
Oh, wow. Oh. Oh. Yeah. That's very nice. <laughs> So why did you choose it? I chose it like for all of those reasons. I chose it because I, you know, I put it on and every single time I put it on now, every two minutes, I'm nearly welling up um, for one reason or another. I think, I really do think it's about kindness and Mm. I think it's about healing and I think it's about learning and embracing your fears and your pain. And I just think it's such a warm and loving film and 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 I love the score so much and I love the design and I love Toothless and I love Hiccup and I love the relationships (laughs) between them all and I don't know if any of you have read the book that this is based on no I haven't no um so I did because when that book came out I was a little bit too old for it I think it was like 13 14 um are you saw did you see this before the film came out or I read the book before before the the film film came out okay cool oh yeah proper hipster when it comes to (laughs) that um but uh I was I was quite disappointed by the book because the book is basically Horrid Henry, but with Vikings and dragons. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but 14 year old me, like I said, I was a bit old for it. And I was expecting something a little bit more exciting. And instead it was just like, what if these nasty boys occasionally did gross things? And I was like, okay, cool. I mean, (laughs) it's not really. There are plenty Um, of books about that. (laughs) Yeah. And then I saw this film and I was having a really hard time imagining like what it would be like. And like went to see it and just was so, I am so in love with this story. Mm. This story is just, there's so many beats of it that I think are so lovely. There are so many montages. I think it's so perfect to be told as a film. Like there are so many beautiful visual um, sequences that I think work so much better than they could in, in, in for example, prose um, or even audio. And I don't often say that I think things work better <laughs> outside of audio. Um, and and yeah, it just, for me, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's safe and it's warm and it reminds me to be brave and it reminds me to be kind. I think one thing you said there in your in your lovely intro, it's probably the best we've ever had, I'm sorry. It was, it, I don't know, very, was very good. Um, very was, well the, was the piece of acceptance. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that's like super important in this, in this time, like like learning to work with the, with the, the things that you fear and I think that that cuts across a lot of things in a in a way that I hadn't really thought about. And and you just I think you so eloquently put it there. And I think it's such a nice um, theme throughout this film and going through the rest of the films as well. It's like you fear these dragons, but what if actually they they could be your friends? Maybe there's a reason behind this, and you just get to know them, one of them, um, and you can embrace everyone. And everyone can work, everyone can live together. Uh, Helen, what are your thoughts? So um, I watch this purely because Kobe has mentioned this more than once. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened, what, wasn't it, um, it was Kira Baxendale came on here and chose B-movie. Oh yeah, we were talking about DreamWorks And movies. we were like, yeah, I said, There's, there are good DreamWorks films, How to Train Your Dragon, for example. Uh, and you hadn't seen it. And I said, well, it's on Netflix. Go, go and watch it. And you did. I did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I feel really bad. I do not love it on the level that you love it on, um, but it is it is all of those things. And um, yeah, it's. I think mean, it, it kind of it came out two thousand and ten, so it was probably playing against what was kind of the in joke adult humor kind of Shrekness that mm. was around, and um, just when children's films stopped being kind of children's films and they were kind of spoofs on existing films or yeah. kind of had terrible adult films but kind of sandwiched into a, an animation and stuff. So it, it I think it's um, 
really lovely and um like the animation is the best dreamworks animation mm -hmm. i think becky yeah pretty much agree um it's so this came into my life through a friend called ash who i used to do a, another film podcast with called flick talkers years and years and years ago and he said to me oh it's like this and cloudy with a chance of meatballs mm. are just a million times better than they have any right to be you have to watch them and i did and i've gone on to recommend um how to turn your dragon to so many people and now i've got so many of my friends are having little babies now and i'm so excited to when the kids like grow old enough so that i can say hey let's wait, let, this is, it's a rainy day let's watch this film i think you'll really like it and they will love it obviously um because it does it teaches such great lessons and whenever i watch it which has been and i can't i've lost count of how many times i've watched this film now because it's such a good comfort watch you can just stick it on even if you're not paying full attention mm. when it comes to that the test drive sequence with the with the oh the incredible score it's john powell yeah it is yeah the the sequence when he first time like takes the cheat sheet takes toothless out for a flight i stop everything i'm doing to watch that sequence every single time and i can't in spite of myself i can't help but basically do what Ella's been doing this entire time. It's like <laughs> clutching my fists to my chest and just I'm just like full of glee, like, because <gasps> you're holding your breath the entire time watching that. I would, I was saying before we started recording, I would love to watch this on a big screen with a live orchestra. Mm. So I think you'd just, you'd get the entire experience. But yeah, just all, all the lessons that you learn about, you know, un learning to understand the things that you're afraid of and conquering your fears and just being nice to each other. And yes, very much the point about like overcoming this, this toxic masculinity, because they really set that up in the start of the film. These are like big brutish Scots Men, and then you've got little hiccup just like yeah um who no we can't really talk about the other films can we no okay anyway <laughs> it's great <laughs> we um there's so many things i love about this film um and the score is one of them and i put a post on on flicks on facebook a while ago saying asking for film scores that are great to work to and this is one of one of the ones i do come back to all all of the how to change dragon films john powell score is like Ugh. amazing um this it's not just the best looking dreamers film i think it's one of the best looking animations um, Roger Deakins was um, a cinematographer um, advisory on this, so he likes. He was like, really? "This is how this is how it looks." And when you see that, it's when you when you think about some of the background shots and how it kind of all plays together, you're just like, "Well, that's right." Roger Deakins was behind this. He knows how to set up things. I missed this in the cinema because it was a Dreamers film, and I was like, nah, "It's going to be a bit wanky, isn't it?" I did exactly the same. And, Completely uh, missed it because yeah. for the same reason, I thought it was going to be like you know up its own house, yeah. sort of Shrek-y like kind of film. And then I saw it on the plane, and I was just like, "Oh fuck!" This is <laughs> <laughs> like, oh shit, this is really good. Yeah. Um, and then I was, I was so excited to see the second and third ones when they came out. Uh, I haven't seen this on a big screen yet, and I, I mean, watching it again, I was like, "Shit, I need to watch this on a big screen." I don't think the, I don't think the character animation stands out as well as the rest of the kind of background stuff compared to the second and third one but um i think like toothless as a as an animated character and how he, how he i don't know it's toothless he is declared, He's a he. uh, how toothless looks and plays and everything like that it's is so amazing character in, yeah in the animation it's, it's absolutely that's outstanding. What the impressive thing about it and what you said helen about the how cartoons used to play on like two levels like one one joke for the adults one joke for the for the kids this doesn't really do that it's just like the same story for both people and you can take so much from both away my um, kind of nephews-in-law, I guess, in Australia um, and niece-in-law, they really, really loved this. And I remember speaking to my uh, brother-in-law about the film and he said he gave, gave the youngest son, Sam, a toy of Toothless. And he was like playing along with it. And then suddenly like, he was like, no, don't like this one. 
and um, it was because it was the toothless from the start of the film. It had he had both of his of his tail parts oh. together, whereas his brother had the toothless with the kind of red the red kind of uh, partition. Cool <laughs> and at, like three years old, he noticed that difference, and he's like, "No, I want the proper toothless oh. that he plays around with." So it was that kind of thing that really like it was like shit. This does resonate through a lot of different people, um, and really cuts to the core. So yeah, I'm a big fan of this film. Anything else? Cuts to the core? No. <laughs> no, I mean. I, I kind of made some notes on like sure. my favorite. <laughs> yes, please do. I mean, um, but, but specifically with the score, like, and and in terms of my favorite sequences, I, I think my personal favorite moments are the first time that Hiccup and Toothless meet mm-hmm. um, after um, Hiccup is down Toothless and the tension in that that whole scene. Um, the first Toothless montage when um, Hiccup finds him in the little like kind of like valley thing. It's not really valley. Um, Canyon stuff. Yeah. yeah, and that bit where um, Toothless like draws in the sand yeah and then um the first the the test flight uh and then obviously the big finale and one of the things i love about the score and also about the animation and the pacing of the film and i think is really well demonstrated in that test flight sequence is the way like you said you can't look away but i think a lot of it is to do with uh how um hmm. yeah i mean it is it is it is pace so like in that test flight scene like as soon as you start feeling comfortable you have the bit where everything goes wrong yeah. <laughs> and then and then and then you get that catharsis of everything going right again and uh I, I mean i love that for a number of reasons one of the reasons is actually fun fact i uh can do an aerobatics display i was in uh the RAF reserves oh, holy um, shit. <laughs> i can fly a plane oh my god um, <laughs> <laughs> and there is an aerobatic maneuver called a stall turn, mm. which is where you take a plane and you fly it straight up. Now, I don't know if anyone listening knows much about physics, but a plane needs to be flying sort of forwards and not straight up because it needs the drag against it to keep all of the forces acting on it in motion. It's aerodynamics, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when you fly straight up, what you do is you stall the plane um, and then the plane tumbles. Mm. And what you do in a stall turn, which is an aerobatic maneuver, is you use the flaps on the plane's wings to catch the wind so that you can tumble the right way up, go down build up speed um, and then you're able to kind of kick back into gear and normally you'd go out into like a loop the loop um, or something similar so for me <laughs> um, they, like, they like literally do that in the sequence yeah when his wings come out and you're like mm. oh my god <laughs> exactly and I love it because like watching that bit in the film feels like doing that aerobatic maneuver and I love it so much like it's got that exact feeling that moment when you're just like your stomach goes up out of you and you have that moment and and, and then you're tumbling and you're tumbling and you're tumbling and then get, catching that and just getting that thrill like I really think that they they just got that um and so a lot of the flight sequences like I can be quite picky about flight sequences in film because also <laughs> my dad was a pilot but so Harry Potter flight sequences yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> That says it all. Move on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so I love I love the flying, um, but I love the music, and I love how much is Hiccup choosing to put himself at risk. Yeah. And I also love the fact, I mean, and, and this is kind of segueing, I guess, into something different, but I love the fact that the film is not without risk. And I think that that's really good in terms of it being a film for kids and adults. Mm. Um, and I think this is a really important lesson for children, which is that, yeah, you should try to challenge like why things scare you and yes you should confront your fears and your but, parents yeah yeah but that's not always gonna go as well as you hope there there are gonna be sad things there's gonna be fighting and sometimes you're gonna get hurt and i like the fact i, I know i love the fact that 
we get to the end of the film and Hiccup has lost something as well as Toothless. Yeah. And the film doesn't shy away from that. Mm. And it's not like, oh no, a disabled main character? That can't possibly happen. They're like, no, like he's still Hiccup. Like, and this is a war and it's dangerous and it's scary. Although also, I'm sorry, now I am rambling, but <laughs> I will say on the, on the note of it being a war, the thing I love is that it's not... I, I don't think it's too heavy-handed a metaphor. I think that if they'd done that, it could easily have been A, quite offensive, B, quite didactic, and C, quite condescending. And I think that they never go that far. Mm -hmm. But they do have elements of that feeling of war, like the contrast between Hiccup having fun with Toothless and then Stoic and the others coming back from trying to find the nest and they've lost half the crew and the ship is destroyed. Like you suddenly go, oh, shit, right, okay. This is also really scary. This is really serious. Well, I mean, serious. right at the start, it's, it starts off as a war, as a battle with the with the, with the the dragons. And it's like, oh, there's this one that's on fire. And it's, you know, all this kind of, kind of mythology is kind of really, really built up from the start. And you've, at the start, you're like, holy shit, they need to really temper down what this potential attack, well, they're not this, this not gonna have any real threat. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and when they turn it into like a loving towards at the end, where even... Hiccup's dad's got a dragon and you have the same kind of, uh, the monologue's almost like fully reversed, isn't it? We're, we're an island, we're a remote island. We've got, well, the only problem is we've got all these pests and then at the end they're, they're pets. Yeah. And it, that's such a nice, like, hundred, like full 180 on- I love a book end in a film. On the, so um, on the storyline. Um, it's all about, it's all about Toothless, isn't it? I don't like, to be honest, I don't like the other dragons. I think Toothless is by far and away it's like- the best looking dragon. Yeah. yeah. They've definitely, it's like, I think the animation purposefully makes the him the most just aesthetically pleasing dragon. Mm. Even the way he moves, like he moves like a cat. Yeah, like, it's definitely he's the just cat yeah. Element. You just want to give him a little cuddle. <laughs> he is extremely cool. Although I do I do enjoy the other the other dragon designs and that, that I like. Um, they do take they they make a lot of reference to the the original book, like um, especially stuff like the um, the Zippleback and the Terrible Terror are very. In fact, I think the Terrible Terror is the size and shape of the original dragon that Cressida um, Cowell was imagining for Toothless. Right. Because um, he was supposed to be the most useless dragon, but then it turned out he was really smart and smart talking and he helped Hiccup get out of situations. Um, in this, yeah, like, I mean, I do, I love Toothless. I have a cuddly Toothless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I do think he's, yeah, for sure the coolest. But, but I like the design. And actually also, so two things. I love the... Um, the monstrous nightmare um, has this red and black striping. That I think is that the one that sets itself on fire? Yes. Yeah. And I think it, and I think that's really cool. There are a lot of little details that reference, obviously, the natural world, mm. and that's one of them. Like this is a dangerous thing. This is a poisonous thing. Um, the way that they play with like coloring and stuff. I don't really like the design for the Gronkle, which is the big fat one. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's like a little annoying. Although I do like the fact that it has like whirring kind of wings. Mm. Um, but. No, I like I like the monstrous nightmare, and I like um, the book of dragons. I like some of the designs that they have for like stuff like the scaldron, which is the one that fires like boiling water. Um, <laughs> listen, I really like this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, also, more generally, uh, another fun fact about me: apparently, I'm just talking about myself today. Uh, I studied Anglo-Saxon, Norse, and Celtic studies, which means I am an expert in early medieval history and Viking Age Scandinavia. So and you can read runes. I can read some runes. I'm were, actually, they, were they accurate? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm, so sort of like Night Fury and runes was like, no, I don't think that's right. <laughs> no, no. It's like when people use Cyrillic like really wrong and it's like, guys, no. Um, but uh, it, no, I mean, I'm better at medieval Welsh, but I, I'm... Where <laughs> oh my God. 
It's amazing. That's the best. <laughs> <laughs> I just create languages and uh, yeah. I feel like if any of my friends listen to this, they're going to be mad at me and they're going to be like, Ella, you were pretending you knew stuff about Norse. I'm like, no, it's I'm a Celticist, but I do. I am aware of Viking Scandinavia and, some, and I'm better at Anglo-Saxon history. And I really like the design cues that they took from anglo-saxon and norse uh, stuff so like for example there's this gold dragon head in one of the halls that Mm. is like very anglo-saxon and i love that and i love like the way that they kind of mash together more modern things like the dragon pit in the dragon training school with those more traditional um kind of things like the round shields and stuff it's also one of those films much like a knight's tale where it's terribly terribly inaccurate and also has (laughs) moments where it reveals that the filmmakers do know what they're doing and they're choosing not to be accurate like it's like the horns on their helmets yeah there are no okay anyone listening to this please understand there are no horns on viking helmets <laughs> there are none it's never been a thing it's not a thing it's not a thing <laughs> that comes from a runestone which has like a witch who we think used to go into battle with the vikings because they believed that she would like maybe give them some kind of blessing or good fortune and she had a big ceremonial headdress with big horns on it so yeah. it's like one thing, like, just think about the practicalities of it, okay? <laughs> Couldn't get through doorways. It's terrible. And if you're fighting someone, they can just grab the horns on your head and chop your, like, chop your head off. It's not, it's it's just terrible. The reason the Greeks had, like, that horse hair, like, it was, it was showing off, but also it's much harder to grab that. Like, whereas with the horns, you're just like, well, I've broken your neck now, that was easy. Um... <laughs> Anyway, just um, um, in the spirit of talking about ourselves, has my surname set off any? Yes, I love your surname very ah, much. <laughs> it is uh, just for any ancient fans of I mean, ancient fans, <laughs> fans young and old. Uh, any fans of ancient uh, Norse stuff? Um, yeah, my surname is a really, really old Viking name meaning armored wolf. Yes, just cool. Definitely don't pronounce it Brynolf uh, outside of these shores. It's like Birnoff or something. Yeah, so like the way it's been anglicized is so that it's O L F and I think it would have been U L F. Um and also, yeah, instead of it being Bryn, it would be B Y R N. So it's the same kind of thing stem that you're getting in like names like Bryn. Um it's the same kind of thing going on. Yeah. It's kind of similar because um the first set off alarm bells for me when in um a film we're not gonna talk about. <laughs> uh oh, what's the one? Dark materials, that's it. Oh with your um, yeah, look, Lord Burns, Bjornison. Yeah. Yes. And they are in um, Swalbard. I was like, that's familiar. But anyway. <laughs> that's proper, the, that's proper Nordic, way. though. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. That's proper Norwegian. Anyway, <laughs> I think it's about time to head to the scores. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Hello, I'm Sam Pay. And I'm Martin Zolt-Sorstwick. And we are the two hosts of a podcast called Song, Song by, by Song. Song where we listen every week to a track by the musical artist Tom Waits. Uh, You might know him for his gravelly voice. (coughs) Very nice. His appearance in films, but also his multi-decade spanning career uh, involving blues, jazz, and all sorts of other kinds of experimental music. So we're basically like a book club for Tom Waits. And if that sounds like your cup of tea, you can find us at songbysongpodcast.com or wherever you get podcasts. So uh, welcome to the spreadsheet of dreams. Uh, Flix watcher scores are all out of five. You may have decimal places and we will start with you. I'm really not going to be surprised by the answer to this. uh, (laughs) Ella, with your recommendability, please. It would be a five. Um, For so many reasons. Uh, I love the music. I love the aesthetic. I also 
strongly believe that the fact that this is a kids film with a disabled protagonist who continues to be disabled throughout the series um, and who is a very alternate version of masculinity, who is Mm. not big and buff, who doesn't want to kill things, um, is both lovely and also a really, really good message to anyone I know who has kids. Um, So yeah, I'd recommend this a million times. Also a five. Uh, I've recommended this to so many people. And yeah, the moment that my friend's kids get old enough to be able to sort of take this in properly outside of like, oh, cool stuff. uh, Yeah, they're absolutely getting plonked in front of the TV. (laughs) Helen. Um, I'm going to go a little bit like a a solid 4.5. I know people who refuse to watch any animations. And I also know that there's a lot of people who animations are just not for them. Mm. And I I think for me, maybe it's the sort of the fancy setting didn't quite have the same appeal for me, say, as like Toy Story, which I, I kind of really like that setting. So I don't think I got as much out of it because it's just not really my thing. 4.5. Uh, I'm going to go for five. Um, love it. I think it's great. <laughs> I think uh, I'm glad it's back on Netflix. Um, repeat viewing score, Ella. Five. Um, <laughs> I'm going to watch it again this week because uh, <laughs> I was making notes whilst I was watching it this time. Uh, yeah, like I said, every time I watch it, I start welling up at different moments. I feel like I notice something different every time and the the score never gets old. Toothless never gets old. I love going back and seeing him again. Becky? Same. <laughs> For a five as well. I've watched this so many times. I could watch it over and over and over and over and over again. It's uh, it's just wonderful. It's just a good story. It's just a bloody good film. There's nothing really I can pick apart about it. Helen? Uh, so I watched this probably not so long ago, and then um, I kind of half rewatched it, sort of had it on in the background as a bit of a refresher. Um, that's probably enough for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely recommend you watch the other two. Yes, well, I, I, when they come on Netflix. They're not I on Netflix at the moment, which is, no. again, I've talked about this I'm, before, kind of, how I'm, irritating that is. That I'm you... sort of curious to see where, where it could go because I was a bit like, okay, kind of wondering what, what could happen next. next. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they always think of things. Okay. <laughs> um, so what was, what was your score, sorry? Uh, a two. Two. Um, I'm going to go for a three and a half here. Um, I haven't watched it as many times as you guys. Um, and only because, I don't think it's... Uh, that simpler drop of the hat rewatch for me, but I'm always, I'd always be super happy to watch it again and um, will do, I'm sure, for eternity. Um, unfortunately, taking Helen out of the equation here, what? How does this rank in the in the trilogy for you? Number one for me. Um, I think it's still number one, um, but the second comes very, very close. Mm. Um, I, I do really love the second, but I, yeah, I don't think anything quite beats the magic of the first. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I do slightly prefer the f- second one because I think that was that was the first one I saw in cinema, and there was some like <gasps> <laughs> moments. Yeah. Um, so I, I I do definitely I kind of recommend. imagine that maybe they advanced on the animation a bit and kind I think of the animation took looks that a bit wider mm-hmm. and a bit. I did I did declare like came out of the cinema was like guys <laughs> seriously get yourself to the fucking cinema and watch How to Train Your Dragon <laughs> two like now. Um, because it, it it does look a lot better. The third one doesn't look that much better, than the, but the second one I think works works better mm-hmm. from a from a visuals point of view. But I think there's a lot of touches in the storyline, which for me were just like 
Okay. <laughs> um, small screen score. Ella. I mean, I, it's another five. Um, I have I have a reason for this um, because <laughs> <laughs> I am aware that like three of the four of us have said how badly we want to see it in in a cinema uh, with, with an orchestra. So you know maybe that counts against its small screen score, but really. I mean, this kind of comes back to the rewatching, but, you know, if I'm sick, if I'm not sick, if I'm tired, <laughs> if I'm not tired, if I have a choice between this and anything else to put on the TV, I will put this on, like, if it's an option. Uh, I, I think it works really well. Um, so how many times do you think you guys have, have watched it? Oh, God. So it came out 2010. So it came out when I was 16. Right. Um, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a baby. Um, yeah, I think I've definitely seen it over 20 times. Okay. I've probably more than that. Then I reckon, I want to say like 40, maybe. Holy yeah. shit. What? A lot. Yeah. Nice. You, don't, you must like have to watch it, what, like... Three times a year? Yeah. Oh, no, actually, that. That, that feels conservative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just lovely. Yeah. Um, small screen score, Becky. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disappoint Ella now. I'm going to give it a 2.5 for small screen. Because for me, again, I haven't seen it on a big screen. However, it just, it, as much as I love it on a small screen and, and have evidently watched it many, many, many times, I feel like this film is made for the biggest possible screen mm. and you know, the livest possible orchestra. <laughs> kind of thing. It's it's something that I think needs to be a, a 360 sensory experience. And that's something I really want to enjoy one day. If Prince Charles cinema make it happen, <laughs> bring in the Royal Philharmonic. Uh, yeah, I would love to watch that. I think, oh, needs, I think it'd have to be the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah it's going to have to be an orchestra. In Prince Charles. In the <laughs> oh, they give it a yeah. bloody good go. Have a, man in, a man in the kazoo. <laughs> Uh, just, I'm sort of just picturing this entire score done on Pazoo now. Amazing. Helen. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a two. So um, I did the crime of watching this on my phone because um, I happened to be traveling and I didn't really get any of the, even though I had headphones in, mm. the score seemed to have washed over me. I can't really remember that much about it. So I don't know whether it was because... I was hearing it too much in my ears rather than all around me. Um, and um, I don't think I appreciated the the animation for what it was. And then when I kind of rewatched it again on the TV, again, I didn't. it didn't really grab me as much. So I, I think had I have watched it on, on a bigger, bigger screen to begin with, it would have had a bit more of a an all-encompassing effect for me. Yeah. And I think that, that's... Um, I'm going to go for a two as well, I think. I think that's why the second one's my favourite because I saw that one in the cinema and it was just like everything, every single thing I wanted from from it like was was there. Bombastic soundtrack and amazing visuals and everything like that. I've, but I would I would do I would Prince Charles this, but I think uh, Royal Albert Hall, Royal Albert yeah. Hall with with John Powell conducting Ugh. would be a would be a, good, a nice touch. <laughs> that is such stuff as dreams are made of. I mean. <laughs> I do like that though we've scored this low. It's it's very much a big compliment to them. Well, this this is how some of them work, and that's yeah. unfortunately how our scoring system tumbles, it does. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, what did I say? Two engagement score. I'm, it, it's a five, um, but <laughs> <laughs> I think I think engagement and recommendability are the, are the ones that I feel most strongly about. Like in terms of engagement, this is just 
such a well-paced story. Mm. It, it gets fast, it gets slow. Whenever you're starting to think, oh, I'll turn away now, you get like a, a, a montage or a favorite moment or the score changes in a really interesting way or there's some cool sounds. Things happen that are unexpected. Like when you get to the um, when you get to the dragon nest, and there's the moment where you're hearing that weird kind of like almost mm. cicada-like calling, and then suddenly it goes silent. Like I, I dare you to look away in that moment. Like <laughs> you know. So I think, and and then there are bits where I want to look away and I can't. Like when Toothless saves Hiccup um, when he's doing the supposed to kill a dragon, and he doesn't. And and I hate that scene so much every time. Like seeing Toothless not realize that he's gonna get grabbed and. And and yeah, I, I think I just don't think that there are many moments as as a millennial, as a you know twenty five year old with her head always in her phone. I I I find it really hard to look away at any point. So yeah. So five. Um, a couple of things I think are worth mentioning are well, I would be good to touch upon are uh, the voice cast. I was going to mention I think, that. I don't think they overpower the film, even though they, they've got. I don't know. Like with the Toy Story, you're like, oh, that's that's Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. But in this one, there are there's a decent voice cast behind it. Gerald Butler's probably the biggest name, but Jay Baruchel, I before I had to really like look out for him in other films to find out which one he is. And he's one of you know hangs around with Seth Rogen and those guys. Um, Chris Mintz, Plas McLovin in thingy, you know, Kirsten Wig. But those guys, they don't really. It's not their voices. It doesn't. It doesn't match about the voices. And I, I quite like that. Actually, it's not. It's the film is bigger than their voices. Mm-hmm. But then, I th- I see. I couldn't work out whether I thought that was a good thing mm. or whether because they were kind of a little bit non-celebrity, so you couldn't really work them out. That I was a little bit distracted watching it, trying to work out who they were. Right. And if I could work, trying to. Did you work any of them out? Um. No, I don't think I did. Only because I knew, or did I? Maybe Gerard Butler a little. I was like, there must who's who's the Scottish person? There must be someone in there. So oh, that, yeah, a couple of Scottish. So I found that a little bit distracting for me. So I'm mixed about it. Mixed in that, I think it's good that they didn't have like a big name, and then it, it you know it became about that. But then also because of my enjoyment watching it, I was like constantly thinking. So maybe on a rewatch, would you go to only being a, okay, fine, fine. I'd satisfy fine, myself fine, with knowing who's fine, who's going to be the voices and be yeah. like, oh, I recognise that voice. I don't and think then, you, I don't think you do though. Like Kirsten Wiggs in it, and you just don't. I can't. I struggle to remember which one she is. She's one of the twins. Rough, mm-hmm. Is she Roughnut or Toughnut? I don't know which one is Roughnut. I don't know which one's Toughnut. <laughs> yeah, actually, I still struggle to get them the right way around. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, one of them's one of them. Although that's a thing on character design that I do love is the way it does the female characters. Yeah, They're that's not... what I was going to. Another thing is like the ancillary, the younger characters will be quite interesting. Have like a brief chat on them as well. Um, I, I didn't really like the love kind of thing with Astrid. Is like he's kind of that, fawning that after her. A little bit disappointing, considering mm. how kind of progressive and great everything else was. It's like, don't be the love. Oh, it's yeah. So That's not all you have to aspire to, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gives it gives me two feelings about it because yeah, I do think I I adore this film. I adore this film series. Um, I do think Astrid is the most underserved character in in the series, and and I and I don't like the way they handle her in 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 the second and third films. Not really. Um, and on character design, I like the fact that Toughnut and Roughnut are basically interchangeable. Yeah. It's it's not like the girl twin is the really sexy one. Yeah. Um, it's like they basically have the same exact clothes, and that's nice. But also an interesting thing about Astrid uh, is from a Norse scholar point of view, uh, she plays 
plays the role of the wetting woman, which is interesting and a weird decision. So the wetting is it's spelt W-H-E-T-T-I-N-G, as in sharpening, like sharpening a sword. Mm-hmm. And what happens in Icelandic sagas is that you always have a female character who's there to be like, nah, go on, you can do it, you can do it. Come <laughs> on, pick the fight, come on, be the hero. Yeah. Um, often the wetting woman is, is much more dangerous, like go avenge my brother or you're a coward. But I, I do think that Astrid is, is kind of doing that in this film, like especially when... Um, She's kind of goading him, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. Like when in that scene when um, Toothless and Stark go away and then she's talking to Hiccup and she's being like, you know, I want to know what you say right now. And then it's like, you said wouldn't that time instead of couldn't. Like she's very much playing like she's being the wetting woman. Mm. The thing about the wetting woman is that for a female character to exist only to uh, encourage the male character to go be a hero is a thing we're very familiar with. Um, so... Yeah, and I think that it pulls some stuff back with a certain female character in the second film, who I will not name because you haven't seen it. Um, (laughs) And we don't spoil other films. Mm -mm. Yeah, but I I, I think, yeah, it does some interesting things with female characters in other films in the trilogy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I do think it's a fair, like, I I was a little let down. I'm always a little let down by Astrid. I wish she got to be a bit more badass. Mm -hmm. Um, Becky? Yeah. Engagement score. Uh, I while Ella was talking, I increased my score by one point. <laughs> to what? It was a two. Now it's a three. Um, because I've watched this so many times, I can quite happily just leave it on in the background and go sure. into other things and know exactly what I need to return for test drive for <laughs> 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 that sequence, and then be completely and fully engaged in that bit. Um, and also similar to you, Helen, as well. Like I, I was a little distracted. When I first watched it, I was like, who is that voice? I need to know. And because it's not Amazon Prime, you can't just like hover your cursor over the screen and that the names the, will come up. That is the best thing about Amazon, Amazon I Prime. I really like that, 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 as a that X-ray thing. Yeah, We've not seen it. You pause it and then it just tells you exactly who Who's all the actors are like in, in, that, in that moment. Yeah. Mm. It's it's very techy and I, can, I quite can, like I, it. I know, I can sense all the Netflix people like, fucking hell. <laughs> Why didn't we come up with that? Now we can't do because they do already. <laughs> you twats. Oh, and then um, it ties in directly with IMDb as well because Amazon... Yeah. And IMDb, which is taking over the world. They're friends uh, for a profit. And um, <laughs> <laughs> engagement score. Oh, are you finished? Oh yeah, Sorry. three, three for me. Um, oh. I'm, I'm going to go for um, yeah. The voices made me kind of stop and and have have to check that out. And um, yeah, but no, I I was happy to spend um, one hour thirty eight minutes with it. A score of four. Four, sorry. Did I say four? I, <laughs> I maybe four. missed that. Um, I'm going to go for a 4.2. I think it's a lovely film. Um, and I don't think I'll watch it. I won't rewatch it often. And I and that's good in the way that I will forget things that happen. And it's always like, oh, yeah, nice. Uh, so if, if I watch, you know, when you just ruin your film sometimes, you know exactly what's going to happen. The next scene, it's not that good. So... I think I'll hopefully keep that engagement score quite high with sub- subsequent watches. And like, and like Becky, where you've kind of eroded your engagement score because you've seen, it, <laughs> you've seen yeah. it too many times. But Ella talked it back up. Yeah, um, and that gives us an overall score of three point nine one eight seven five, and that's basically it's a small screen score. Yeah, let it down. We want to. We want. We all want to see it in a cinema. Yeah, I'm. Ve- I'm very sad that it's not a four. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's so, so close as well. Um, you know, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I'll ever talk to any of you again. But, uh, you try so hard with the straight fives, um, but others, otherwise, I mean, yeah, a recommendability of four point eight seven five is one of the. It's pretty strong out of the gate there. 
but it's just how our scoring system works out unfortunately yeah. you know. i mean i know it's it's fine I've, I've listened bring a less beautiful film to you the know? table <laughs> less bombastic soundtrack <laughs> <laughs> next time you come on board next time yeah. you come in you'll, this is it you'll learn you'll learn that'll <laughs> learn you i'll pick something brilliant that you have to watch really small yeah um so let's go to the twitters um and as always we do tell people on Twitter before we're recording to review our film. In this case, we're reviewing How to Train Your Dragon with Gedge Watts and Rabbit in a Hat. Have you seen it? Tell us your thoughts on on-air shout-out on Flixcutcher. Um, Gedge Watts, do you want to take the first one? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the Contrarians at Contrarian Prime say, surprisingly thoughtful. You can say the same of the sequels, only it wasn't a surprise by then. Four out of five. Becky? Uh, the IMDb Journey podcast says four stars, a fun film that adults and children can enjoy alike. Helen. Great movie about friendship and how fear is nothing more than a handicap created out of our own ignorance. And did they come with some stars? 3.5. Ella. Uh, Iron Horse at Iron Horse 341 says really cool how they don't ignore age in the story. You see the characters grow. No stars there. Uh, this one seems like it's kind of made for you. Um. I just noticed. <laughs> so um, Ash at Ash Diggs Film says five stars. Ask Becky. So Ash is the Ash who recommended this film to yeah. me in the first place. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, let's do a quick Pixar versus DreamWorks. Ooh. Oh, you've got some oh, better, Ella. Oh, okay. Do you go first? I made notes. Oh my okay. God. <clears throat> so in... Uh, Kira's B-movie episode, which is not the only episode I've listened to, I was gonna say that um, this whole rating reminded me of Inception because I also love Inception, <laughs> but I feel it's another one that's better on the big screen. Anyway, in Kira's episode, she mentioned Prince of Egypt and she's right, that film is a masterpiece of animation. And that's it's, traditional animation, that isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's so beautiful and the music is so beautiful and they consulted like a, a number of uh, religious teachers from a number of different religions mm -hmm. so it wasn't just like, this is going to be the Christian film that does the Christian thing. Yeah. Um, they talked to a bunch of different people and it, it, it made it into this really beautiful film and it is... Uh, about Moses, like it, it, it obviously is like a theological film, but I think it's really beautiful. And that was DreamWorks. Other DreamWorks films I like include Road to El Dorado, which ends in a polyamorous trio. No one can tell me otherwise. Um, <laughs> Chicken Run, obviously. Is that, um, is yeah. that DreamWorks though? I, well, according to the internet, it is. I'm I'm not classing as DreamWorks. Is that Ardman Animations? Ardman. Ardman. Yeah. Maybe in they did they did yeah, they did team up with DreamWorks. So they did like flushed away was a DreamWorks, yeah. uh, and then they kind of Ardman and DreamWorks kind of went. We don't know what to do with you guys, so you can go <laughs> just you on, do your own thing. on the subject. Uh, Prince of Egypt is on Netflix. Ah. Just as a public service now. Oh, it's so I'm good. Adding I'm... it to my list on behalf of you and Kira. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you, Helen. Um, other uh, good DreamWorks films, um, Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, um, is a great film. Um, I love Sinbad. I love Megamind. Um, I really... Huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like my Rise of the Guardians and um, I really like Kung Fu Panda. However, 
having gone through that list and then compared it to Pixar, I was like, okay, Pixar does work, win. <laughs> but I but I just want to make a case for DreamWorks isn't terrible. I don't think it's as bad as people think it is because mm. it's, it, it's bad films are so bad yeah. that people forget that they can do good films. And I think that's a bit unfair. Uh, but, but Pixar definitely wins. I was looking at like, I only had like cars for Pixar films I don't like and for DreamWorks films I don't like was like Boss Baby, Every Shrek sequel, um, Over the Hedge B movie, the Madagascar sequels, uh, the Croods, like, mm. oh, trolls. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm a little bit stung because I used to work at Fox and worked on a lot of DreamWorks films. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a little bit... Um, yeah, you, you do have to push quite a lot of stuff that you're not really into. You have to really pretend that you really like it. Uh, but no, Trolls, um, that bloody song by Justin Timberlake haunts me to this day. Oh, another film you mentioned just then. That was, oh, but tell you what, Boss Baby. I saw a really early cut of Boss Baby. Um, the earliest version of that was a really wild, surreal, fun, experimental, like it was, half the animation was done, but you could tell from the storyboarding. And there was like so many homages it did to like old classic cinema. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. And then it got super watered down and we're like, oh, oh, well, never mind. This is just what we've got now. So it is a massive shame. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Pixar, I'm a Pixar girl. I've got the whole box set at home. It's amazing. Helen. No contest, really. Yeah. Pixar just yeah. have been the best since yeah. they started. Yeah, it's got to be Pixar, but this, mm. I think, ranks higher than most of my Pixar films, um, I think, is the is the thing yeah. there. Kung Fu Panda's really cool, but then I was like, Kung Fu Panda 2? Don't care. Um, I think it's all the sequels as well, and you, you don't care, but with somehow Pixar managed to you go, yeah, I'll, I'll watch Toy Story 4. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and you know what I will say I was talking to a friend about this where like the thing about DreamWorks is okay yeah when they flop they flop mm. but I do think versus Pixar mm. I always feel like when DreamWorks decides to be a bit daring and a bit challenging mm. they really go for it and I think sometimes they're a little bit sharper and a little bit more challenging than I've ever really seen Pixar be yeah. and like whether that's because like whether that's like we are gonna have an amputee be the protagonist of our series and no you don't get to say no to that or with um, Spirit Sally and the Cimarron it, this is going to be a really harrowing criticism of white America and this is gonna be like a serious film about like the genocide of Native American people. Um, and also it's a kid's film, promise. Um, <laughs> like I, I think when DreamWorks decides that they give no fucks, they give no fucks and I love it. I just wish that they did that more often. <laughs> um, yeah. Sells fewer toys though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I just, I just want something to broaden our cultural imagination yeah. and make us better to each other and progress society. It's what I want from my art, not plastic. <laughs> um. Can we, can you sign off guys by letting us know where we can find you online and say ciao? Uh, so you can find me. And sign off in some Nordic language. Ooh. Oh my God, amazing. <sighs> I'm not sure I can actually do that. I mean, I, I, hmm. I, I can I can give you I can give you an old English like saying. Does will that will That's that Anglo Saxonish that'll do. Okay, cool. Um <laughs> so uh okay, so you can find me on the internet uh on Twitter at G E J Watts, Gedge Watts, or you can follow my podcast, The Orphans, on Twitter at Orphans Audio and also on Instagram. And as a sign off, I will leave you with an old English saying, which is a thus of this is Swame 
which means that passed away, so may this. As in, no matter what happens, you'll be okay. Ah, it is what it is. I like it. <laughs> uh, I'm Becky Branoff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rabbit in a Hat, and you can follow my podcast at And Then What Pod. Um, and I guess I'll just sign off with, I don't know, something Scottish like, all right, see ya, pal. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs> enjoyed this episode of flix watcher podcast why not leave us a five-star review on itunes you can also follow us at flix pod on twitter and we're at flix on instagram thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty mighty tunes and ben from rockwood audio for his awesome editing skills if you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this get in touch with ben and that's rockwood r-o-k-k wood audio tell them flicks what she sent you you just heard a stripped media production